right, and welcome back to another edition of Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside my terrific but kind of upset co-host right now, Jonah Tools. The Cowboys took a bad loss to the Jets, so of course that's the first thing that I have to ask you about. What's your mind state right now, and are you okay? I'm just happy you showed up for the podcast because I know you were really upset, so just what's your mind state right now? I just want to check on you just to make sure you're okay. Jordan, I'm a clown. I'll tell you why. I came into this game thinking this would be a statement game for the Cowboys. Coming off a terrible loss to the Packers, and we lay an egg to the winless Adam Gase-led Jets. You know what? I jinxed myself. I had a hot seat article come out on the Draft Network earlier this week saying Adam Gase is on the hot seat because the Jets have quit on him. And all of a sudden, they beat my team. No, they just beat them. They spanked them in the first half. Let's get that straight. If it went for a 62-yard field goal, it's 21-3 to against the winless Jets. Let's think about that for a second. So, you know, I, I'm a clown for thinking the Cowboys will come back and redeem everything they lost in the Packers game. It, we have a long ways to go. It's a long season. Rather happen earlier than now. But my state of mind is not good right now. Not good. Like I said, I'm just happy you showed up for the podcast because I was going to text you to check on you, but I know you probably were doing some things to get your little sorrows out right now, so I wanted to leave you alone. I didn't want to I didn't want to get a mean or angry text message or anything like that because I know how you Cowboy fans are. Y'all are very prideful. You care about your team, even though it's, it's still a bit of an argument on if you guys are still America's team, but that's another debate. Oh, get the hell out of here with that. Come on, you know better than that. That's a debate for another day. But week seven, week seven. (laughs) Week seven of the college football season is officially in the books. There were a lot of standout performances, and we want to introduce a new segment that we're calling Pride Stickers. And it's very similar to what ESPN does as far as their helmet stickers, but we're going to put a little bit of a twist on ours because we're going to point out some guys who we thought played really well, and they're deserving of a sticker on their decal. The Ohio State Buckeyes are a team that's known for having the pride stickers on their helmets. So that's what we're doing right now. We're going to dish out some players who we thought were MVPs and stood out a lot and helped their draft stock tremendously. I have my list, but I'm going to let Jonah go through some of his guys who we thought stood out the most in week seven. So the floor is open for you. I'm sure I, we have a lot of similar names. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead and check off some of the guys that you have on your list. I'm going to tell you which ones I have similar, and I'm going to talk yeah. about some guys after you go who I have on my list. Yeah, and I got four guys really to highlight. And obviously you got you know the big names like Joe Burrow, CeeDee Lamb. Those are guys that had great weeks and helped their draft stock tremendously with the performances on Saturday. But I want to touch on the guys that really aren't as mentioned as much by, you know, the national news media. And that's like guys like Josh Uche from Michigan, pass rusher. We're waiting on his one big game. He's kind of a tweener, six foot two, 250. Doesn't really have the length to be a full-time edge at the next. But you look at him and you see those explosive traits, those that bend. You see him be able to dip around the edge, get to the quarterback and flatten. You see the traits are there, but you don't know if the physical profile is there. And we're waiting on that one big game, and he had that against Illinois, three sacks and five tackles. This is a big game for his draft stock and a huge performance for it for him going forward. Then another guy I want to mention is Brandon Ayuk, the Arizona State wide receiver, a senior who I wrote an article on a couple of weeks ago about him breaking out, you know, and replacing Nikhil Harry as a featured receiver for Arizona State. I really think he's going to have a huge year in terms of his draft stock. I mean, seven catches, 196 yards, three touchdowns against Washington State. 
he kind of reminds me a lot of Michael Gallup in the way, you know, he can really, you know, stretch a defense vertically and his ability to run after the catch. I truly believe he's one of the top three or four receivers after the catch his entire draft class. So it's a big game for him, and I think we'll see him in Mobile uh, here in the future. Um, the A.J. Epineza, I think it's the guy that was a top player for most analysts, I'd say, before the season. Um, had a little bit of a disappointing start, I'd say. It, you know, he was you know, creating disruption, but it wasn't really showing up in the box score. It wasn't really translating to real production you know, for the Iowa Hawkeyes. And, but I think this was really the first game against Penn State, even though they lost 17-12, to where he did kind of put up that production. Had one sack, but he also had three quarterback hurries. This is a guy that I think is really starting to hit his stride. I think you start seeing him build that momentum as we get later in the Big Ten. Then the last guy I want to mention is Lorel Murchison, NC State defensive tackle. My colleague Joe Marino and I, we have been really pushing this train since the summer. This is a this is a big, athletic, pass-rushing three technique, 6'5", about 295, a guy who can really penetrate the interior of a defense. I'm a big fan of his burst. Now, he had two sacks against Syracuse this Saturday, but he also had three and a half sacks against Florida State last Saturday, which was not five and a half sacks in, uh, in the last two weeks and seven sacks for the entire season. He already, he's already surpassed his four-sack mark from 2018. I think he's going to have a huge year. I think scouts are noticing it, and I believe he is helping his draft stock more than any other defensive tackle in the ACC so far this season. And I'm really glad that you said Murchison just because I think he's a very underrated player. And I was telling Joe the other day, I actually had a chance to talk to their defensive line coach the other day, and he was saying that he's playing with some chip bones in his foot right now. Mm-hmm. So. That just goes to show you how much of a how much of a beast he's he's been so far this year. He's playing through injury, so I'm really glad you said Murchison. Ayuk is another name. I was a bit late on him. He's kind of he's kind of coming along right now in place right. of Kill Harry, like you said. I was really happy to see him stand out a lot. And of course, AJ Epinesa. Everyone knows that he's a beast, but he got off to a bit of a slow start this year just because he this is his first year as a starter. So it's been yeah. a bit of an adjustment. For him not being a full-time guy, he he's kind of learned to be a full-time or a starting pitcher as opposed to a relief pitcher. That's the best way I like to right. describe it. So it, he's not coming in as a bit of a surprise off the bench where some of the guy's legs are a bit worn down. He's coming in fresh, and now he's that full-time guy, and he's not able to surprise everybody now. So it's good to see him especially get in the box score a bit more. But I'm really intrigued by Epinesa. I definitely think he's going to have a lot of fans, not only in the draft Twitter community, but also – amongst executives and a lot of full-time scouts as well. So he definitely was a guy that stood out for me. But some of my guys that stood out, who I'm giving a prize sticker to, of course, I have to start out with the quarterback, man. It's Joe Burrow. He was incredible against Florida. Like we we talked about on the last podcast, um, what he did against Texas, everyone thought it might have just been a one-game wonder. Or Did you want to see he could replicate that type of success? And that's exactly what he did. So I love using sports analogies when I'm talking about prospects. So here's my analogy for Joe Burrow. He's like a professional golfer to me. And what I mean by that is he can he can reach into the bag. He has different types of clubs. He can bring out his driver where he can drive the ball down the field and throw the long ball. He can bring out the putter to where he's in the red zone and he can land the ball safely on the green and hand it to his targets very successfully. But also he has a sandwich where he's able to improvise and get himself out of trouble when he is in the bunker. And you just see him running around just making all of these miraculous throws even when there is some pressure in his face or if he doesn't like what he sees and he's able to get some positive yardage. So that's my analogy for Joe Burrow. I think he's a legit first-round prospect, and I put up an article about him on the Draft Network right after the game that really blew up as well. A lot of people are really starting to buy the hype with him, and rightfully so. 
and I put out a tweet during the game. He already has 24 touchdown passes this year. That's the crazy. Single, the single-season record for LSU. That's, that's crazy. It's 28, which is crazy. He's going to shatter, absolutely crush that record. So I think, he could, I think he could get to 40 by the end of the year. I don't think that should surprise anybody just because of the type of year that he's having. And that offense is really rolling. It's really surprising, kind of shocking to see LSU have this type of offense just because they've been known. They're used to it. Right, they've been known for their strong defense and then their kind of subpar run-heavy offense, and it's the exact opposite this year. So shout-out to Joe Burrow, terrific performance for him, 21 for 24, 293 yards and three touchdowns, the type of success that we wanted to see, and he really announced his name to the nation as a legitimate first-round prospect. So shout-out to him. My next performance, man, this dude was incredible. It's CeeDee Lamb from Oklahoma. He looked like a number-one receiver against Texas. The performance that he put on in that game in the Red River rivalry was just incredible. He looked exactly like DeAndre Hopkins. And that's the primary comparison that a lot of people are using for him. You see him just being able to contort his body and put it in awkward positions in order to make some incredible catches. And then the one thing that a lot of people didn't really know that he brings to the table is his dynamics after the catch. And that's exactly what you've seen. Texas was just dreadful as far as tackling, but there's just three or four guys around him. He's making every single one of them miss on his way to the end zone. He had a 51-yard touchdown uh, during his, I believe it was his last touchdown. That was just incredible. So CeeDee Lamb was one player that stood out. Now I want to go to the opposite side of the ball and a guy we talked about on last week's show, Neville Gallimore. He was unblockable in this game. He ended up with two sacks and two tackles for loss, and his stock has just been through the roof. He wasn't able to put it all together prior to this season, and he had some inconsistencies. But seeing him put everything together now and showing that terrific blend of being explosiveness up the field, but now he's finishing plays. And that's exactly what he, what we wanted to see from him. And staying with the Sooners, this is your guy you wrote about him prior to yep. the week's games. And that's Kenneth Murray. He finished with five tackles, two tackles for loss, and a sack. And the best thing that I think he brings to the table is his speed. He is a sideline-to-sideline, rangy linebacker, and that was on full display in this game. And I don't think there's a defensive prospect in the country that has helped their stock more and improved from last season to this season than Kenneth Murray. He has all the traits that you're looking for. He looks the part, chiseled body. I mean, he's out there tackling everybody from left to right. So, once again, kudos to him, and he's definitely getting my prize sticker for this week. But I just want to dive a little bit deeper into some of these game yeah. recaps. And go ahead. I know you had something. So, so you mentioned about Kenneth Murray, about you know how he improved. I think he's improved. I wrote my article on the Draft Network on Saturday. It's my featured piece for that day. Is that I think he improved more from 2018 to 2019 than any prospect I've seen in terms of on the defense side of the ball. You mentioned that he's chiseled out. I wrote that he's like a legitimate, he looks like a legitimate bodybuilder, but he also has a change of direction speed, like a strong safety. Like that combination is, what gonna, is what's going to have NFL scouts, I think, you know, looking at him as a first round, second round kind of guy, as opposed to where his 2018 tape showed more of a day three kind of developmental player. So I think this kind of big jump of him playing more confidence with his instincts is really going to push him to that top 50 range. So I think, I, I know we want to dive into, into some game, games. So while we're on the Oklahoma Texas thing, let's, let's just dive. I mean, I, I, I mean, I know you have thoughts. You talk about CD Lamb, talk about Neville Gallimore, Kenneth Murray. These are all guys that really stood out for me. I mean, CD Lamb. You mentioned DeAndre Hopkins comparison. This is exactly what I brought up in my notes on him. I mean, he reminds me a lot of Hopkins in the way he has that balance of smoothness and explosiveness. He has a, he's a monster. I think before the catch and after the catch. Yep. 
his ability to run route. I think that's the biggest thing about him. People don't understand. They see this big old guy who's strong, aggressive, physical, but they don't understand how big of a, how good of a route runner he is. I think when you look at the good route runners in this class, you think of Jerry Judy's, you think of all those Alabama dudes, Devontae Smith, but not many people discuss CeeDee Lamb as the top route runner in this class. And he might very well be, it's, it's, I think it's between him and Judy 1A, 1B in terms of the best route runners in this class. And I think there's a chance that he might be a wide receiver, the wide receiver one on most teams' draft boards come next April because of his, si- his combination of size, speed, strength, and finesse at the position. So C.D. Lamb, huge game for him. I mean, 10 catches, 171 yards, three touchdowns. Can't get much better than that Red River rivalry. You already touched on Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore. Both guys are serious top 50 prospects. I mean, Neville Gallimore, I mean, this is a guy who is already one of the best athletes in the nation, regardless of position. At 6'2", 330 pounds, he reportedly runs a sub 4840, according to Bruce Feldman's <laughs> annual freak list column. So you're talking about a guy that is going to break records at the combine. We saw Don Terry Poe do the same, same kind of thing at his size. I think Gallimore, that, that's probably the comp many people look at with Gallimore. But Gallimore, I mean, people see his size and think, oh, he's probably just a nose tackle. He's just a guy who's going to be you know, a two-down kind of player. I think he's really improved his pass rush value coming into 2019, I think, with his game so far. And games like this against Texas where he had two sacks, that's really going to help his stock as a pass rusher going forward. Then you're touched on Kenneth Murray. This is a guy that, you know, who's, who's just really solidifying his spot as a top three linebacker in this class. You know, size, speed, strength. He has it all. Physical profile, it all checks out. As long as he doesn't get hurt, I think he's a lock to be a top 50 pick. Without question. But before we move on, I want to let the crowd know about Vivid Seats. You can make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you to get to your favorite live event in a promo code postseason. That's P-O-S-T. Season at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Again, that's Vivid Seats. You can enter the promo code postseason. So the next game I want to move on to is Georgia and South Carolina. Probably the biggest surprise of the week amongst anybody just because nobody expected this game to relatively be close but it ended up going to two overtimes and georgia ended up walking away being upset by south carolina with the score of 20 to 17 this game was all over the place man and the one player that i did focus on or a couple players that i want to say i focused on in this game there was a bunch but of course jake Fromm, the quarterback who i thought struggled mightily he ended up 28 of 51 for 295 yards a touchdown and three interceptions And that last stat line is really what everybody's going to remember for this game. But I want to talk about Fromm a little bit with you just because I haven't got your thoughts on him yet. So what is your overall assessment on Jake Fromm? Yeah, so coming into the year, I thought Jake Fromm was exactly what, you know, he shows on tape. And that's just he's a conservative decision maker. You made the golf reference with Joe Burrow, right? who's a guy who's not – earlier with Joe Burrow, who's going to hit in the – he has all the tools in his toolbox, right? He has a sandwich. It's a driver. He can really pull everything out of the, everything out of his hat. But Jake Fromm, I see a guy who's really just going to – he's not going to hit – he's not going to drive it 350 yards down the, down the fairway, but he's always going to be in the fairway. He's not going to be in the rough. He's not going to be, you know, in the bunker. He's just always going to be safe. In this game, though, he made, this, he made uncanny decisions that you really see on his tape in 2018, 2017, at least plays that didn't translate into interceptions. So this is a guy that I think – you know, who will always be an NFL quarterback who is constantly supplemented by playmakers to be successful instead of supplementing the offense solely on his play. So to me, I think he looks more like a day two pick or a late day two pick, like a third, fourth round kind of guy, more so than the first, second round guy people have been hyping up to be. I just don't think he has the physical profile or the traits 
to be that kind of franchise guy that you can really bank on and bet your, you know, your overall draft on. I, I just, I don't see Jake Fromm as a guy, like I said earlier, who's going to supplement talent. I think he's going to be supplemented, supplemented by talent. And I think that's the difference in being a first round pick and a day two pick. And I think you're spot on with that. So just a quick few notes I have on him. So I said, if Kirk Cousins and Andy Dalton were brothers, he would be like the middle brother of those two, just because I think he's a cross between both of those guys. And he's the quarterback that's the sum of his parts. And what I mean by that is he cannot uplift the talent that is around him. And, of course, he's loaded at UGA. They have receivers, top-ranked receivers all over the field. Of course, DeAndre Swift in the backfield, Zamir White, James Cook, and plenty of other players as well. So he's always going to have to have a strong supporting cast in order to see his full potential. But he threw three interceptions in this game, but I only credit him for two. There was one that went right through the hands of the receiver. I forget who who exactly it was, but it went right through his hands and it popped up and landed in the defender's lap. So I really only accredited him with two in this game, but they were really bad interceptions. And accuracy is something you really don't normally see him struggle with. I think that's one of his more strong suits. And he was poised in this game. He makes some big-time throws and big-time moments, but they were just daring him to throw down the field, and he just yeah. would not do it. And that's why I say he reminds me a lot of Andy Dalton, just because teams really dare Andy Dalton to throw the ball down the field. And there's times where he just doesn't do it. And in that 10 and under range, short to intermediate, that's really that's really his domain and really where he likes to dominate. And I think that's exactly what Fromm is most comfortable with, even though he does have, I, I wouldn't say consistently the arm to throw the ball down the field. I think he's just timely with the times that he does, he does do that. And then we saw Andy Dalton go at the top of the second round. I believe he went like 44th or 45th or something like that. So that early early to mid day two or early to mid second round, I should say, I think that's a fair range for him. But it only takes one team to take a quarterback in the second round and fall in love with him. And we've seen him go in the first round of some mock drafts. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where you had him in your mock draft. I'm not sure if you had him in the first round or not. But I think he I think he's an early, sec, early to mid second round guy. I think that's a fair range for him. So Another uh, another guy that I did have an eye on, I think he was dominant in this game, and that's Javon Kinlaw, the defensive tackle oh, yeah. from South Carolina. I mean, 6'6", 300-plus pounds. Once again, like Kenneth Murray, a guy that has that chisel body, he doesn't look 300 pounds at all. He doesn't have an ounce of body fat on him, it looks like, at all. But he was dominant in this game, and I think he ended up with one sack, I believe it was. Yeah, he ended up with four tackles, one sack, and one tackle for loss is what I have here in my notes. And it looked like he flashed even more than that. And what I mean by that is even though he had four tackles and one sack in the box score, he was creating tremendous pressure on Fromm. And he is what I like to call a pocket pusher. He is a pocket pusher. The interior of that pocket, he was he was forcing Jake Fromm's lineman to be in his lap when he was trying to make throws. And that's what you want to see about a, a from a, def, a top defensive tackle prospect like Ken Law. So, what is your overall thoughts on Ken Law, though? I want to get your thoughts on him as well. And to our audience who doesn't have a visual perspective of this, when Jordan says Javon Kinlaw is a pocket pusher, he literally means it. There's a, there's a snap where he had where he literally pushed the left guard all the way into Jake Fromm's lap. I mean, he just, with his pure upper body strength, just shoved him right into Fromm. And I, I think this is a guy whose explosion and his pass rush potential could make him the highest drafted defense tackle in this draft. I mean, we talk about Derek Brown, we talk about all these, Raekwon Davis, and these guys are great players, don't get me wrong. But I think we've seen time and time again, the NFL values the potential of these interior defensive linemen as pass rushers. And Javon Kinlaw, you can argue, probably has the best traits of any interior defensive lineman in this draft. 
And now I, I'm, I still have Derek Brown at the top of my interior defensive lineman board, but at the same time, I think I have to recognize that Javon Kinlaw, with the way he's showing so far this season, the tape he's putting up and the traits he already has, you talk about how he, he has athleticism you can't teach. He has a physical profile you cannot teach. So this is someone I think NFL teams will uh, jump on the table for. I think coaching staff will bang on the table for him in, in board setting meetings. I think he has a legitimate shot to be the first defensive tackle drafted. So I'm a big fan of Jaquan Kinlaw, and I think he his upside is absolutely through the roof. I, you know, when you look at his traits, his ceiling, I just don't think there's a really cap to what you can put on what you can do. The only player I, I can really think of that reminds me of is Chris Jones, who came out of Mississippi State a couple of years ago. With his physical with his physical skill set and his pass rush potential, that's the kind of player that he reminds me of. He's you know who little bit of a flash player of the year before we started coming to his own in his final season. That's why I think with Kinlaw. So Kinlaw, big game for him, big game for his draft stock. I'm convinced you're looking at my notes through the screen just because I have Javon Kinlaw beside him. I have Chris Jones. No lie. Look at that. Great minds think alike. <laughs> That's exactly who he reminds me of. And if you remember, Chris Jones did not test well at the combine right. at all. And that was one of the biggest reasons why he did suffer a bit of a fall even though he did still end up going early. But Kinlaw is going to test out of this world at the Combine just because his explosiveness is ridiculous. And that's the first thing that jumps off the screen about him. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he does finish the season. And he's definitely a name that I will have an eye on. But the next game I want to get to, and the one that I hate to mention just because it is Clemson and Florida State. Florida State, man. (laughs) You know, that's my team. They let me down severely in this game. It just looked like two completely different teams in this matchup. Clemson jumped out to a 28-0 lead, and they did not look back after this game. But the one person that did flash on Florida State is your guy, Hamza Nazruddin. He looked really good in this game. He ended up getting an interception. And the one thing you notice about him is just how fast he plays. He's terrific as a run defender. He can fly all over the field. He has plenty of range in that strong safety spot that they are playing him in right now. And he still isn't getting the respect I feel like he does deserve right now just because he isn't a huge notable name, I don't think, in league circles right now. But I think the closer we get to the combine and declaration time for players to declare, I think he's one player that's going to shoot up a lot of teams' boards once they decipher through some of the players on Florida State's roster. But Hamza Nasruddin. I know he's probably, I wouldn't say probably, he is one of your biggest draft crushers right now. So just give me your overall thoughts on him and why you like him so much. Yeah, I think you mentioned why he's kind of not as popular of a name as other linebacker safety hybrid players in this class. That's because Florida State's a disaster right now. I mean, I think if Florida State was a top 10 team, I think we, people would talk about Hamza Nazaldin as the guy who is, you know, a lock first round pick. I, I think people would be looking at him as like Isaiah Simmons for Florida State, right? Because to me, when I look at National Dean's skill set, I think of him as a consolation prize for any team that misses out on Isaiah Simmons. Because to me, Isaiah Simmons looks like a top 5-10 prospect. I mean, Isaiah Simmons, when you look at the Telvin Smiths, the Levante Davids of the world, I, I think Isaiah Simmons is the same thing. I think he's even bigger and more explosive than either of those two Pro Bowl players. National Dean, same kind of thing. You talk about his speed. He's a blur from sideline to sideline. You saw him that brilliant toe-tap interception he had in that game. I think this is a guy that's going to blow up once he gets to the combine with his he has such a unique skill set about 6'4 6'5 about 225 you don't see players like him you see players his size play wide receiver or tight end not linebacker or safety so it's gonna be really interesting to see how the NFL values his length and his cover skills because I think he could really be one of those guys that's a true chess piece 
for a defense at the next level. So I'm a big fan of Nigel Dean. I think he's a guy that's made game changer at the next level. And there were so many prospects in this game. I thought Travis Etienne played really well. They were highlighting how he's improved in pass protection so much and also the receiving game. I think that's one of the biggest questions he had coming into the year just because we didn't know how well of a pass catcher he was just because he hasn't been involved in that phase in so many or he hasn't been involved in that phase a lot just because of how well-rounded they are on the perimeter and how many mouths they have to feed out there. You have Justin Ross and T. Higgins. We know what they bring to the table, but they haven't had to put Travis Etienne in those situations of being able to involve him in the passing game. So I think with him being a much better receiver this year, I think it's going to help out his stock even more this year. We saw T. Higgins have a couple highlight catches. Justin Ross, we know what he's going to be bringing to the table in 2021. He ended up getting a touchdown in this game. Trevor Lawrence, I thought he looked decent, even though he's been a bit inconsistent this year. So there were a lot of prospects in this game, of course, not only on Clemson, but Florida State as well. Marvin Wilson was a guy that he didn't flash a whole bunch, but you can tell when he turns it on, Mm -hmm. that dude is strong as a freaking ox, man. He is so hard to move in the middle of that defense. And I think, I don't want to say or get it misconstrued, he's not Derrick Brown. But I think he's a very good consolation prize. He's not going to bring the type of explosiveness that Derrick Brown does bring to the table. But as far as a guy that's probably going to match and exceed what he does put up on the bench press and the strength that he does show on tape as well, I think they're right there neck and neck. So I think he's a guy that could go in the top of the second round or even the middle of the second round for teams that are looking for that zero technique in a 3-4 defense, but I also think he could play that one technique in a four-down defense as well. So Marvin Wilson is definitely another name that that scouts really should be intrigued by, especially if you're looking for somebody in the middle of the defense. Yeah, and Marvin Wilson really reminds me of like Jerron Reed coming out of Alabama, a guy who most people view as this nose tackle who was you know an elite run defender, a guy who played with extreme power. But not many people have viewed his pass rush skill set enough because he didn't have much pass rush production in college, right? But then Jerron Reed coaches the NFL, and he's a legit pass rusher and run stuffer in the NFL. He's one of the best defensive tackles, I think, in the league. So you look at Jerron Reed, I think the same skill set applies to Marvin Wilson. You mentioned, right, he's really a consolation prize to Derrick Brown. Derrick Brown a little more explosive in the passing game, and I think Derrick Brown is one of those guys who uses his hands more, more technically sound. But Wilson has all those traits, and I think Jerron Reed would size skill matches up really well with Wilson's projection to the next level. I'm really excited about this interior defensive line class. These defensive line class as a whole. Now, it's not last year's class, but mm-hmm. I'm looking forward, especially the edge class, and we'll get into that in some future episodes just because this is a very talented edge class. And the tiers in this class are going to be really interesting just because I think there's a whole bunch of guys that are neck and neck right there together. Curtis Weaver, Clavon Chason, who had a really good game, flashed a lot against Florida last week, and some other names as well. Alden Robinson, who we'll get into on some later episodes as well. So we'll be able to really differentiate some of the guys in this class. But the last game that we'll get to on today's episode is Alabama and Texas A&M. Alabama came out on the victorious side, of course, with the 47-28 to victory. Two attack of Aloha was lights out. Once again, uh, finished with 293 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception. We've talked about all the weapons that he has on the perimeter as well. But – I got who we highlighted in the last episode showed a lot of promise in this game, and that's Justin Matabuke, the defensive tackle from Texas A&M. And there's not a whole bunch of draft prospects on the Texas A&M defense, but out of the one guy who did flash on the defense, he was the most. And I was really happy to see that just because 
when you put in the tape of a player, you want to be able to differentiate him from this from his counterparts. And some of the top competition that he faces, though, that's the first game film that scouts are going to want to put in. Everyone knows that Alabama always has one of the top offensive lines throughout the country. So you want to see how he's able to hold up and sustain against this offensive front. And I thought he held his own. He did really well in this game. He made a lot of flash plays, not only as a run defender, but also in the passing game as well. So Matt Abute, um, just some other guys. What was your thoughts on this game and who flashed the most from this game? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Justin Matibu because this is a guy who, you know, his performance won't really stand out in the box score as much, but you can just tell his disruption is felt each game he plays in. So I'm glad you mentioned him. But the really the two guys I really want to mention are two of Alabama's you know, nickel hybrid guys, Xavier McKinney and Shaheem Carter. I mean, both made several key plays in the backfield, multiple plays at the catch point. I'm in on both guys as day two chess piece playmakers in the secondary with the potential for McKinney to rise in round one. I mean, I, I think both guys, when you look at their, I think they're Swiss Army knights, right? They don't really have this one big skill set. They don't really have this one big trait to, you know, hold their hat on. But I think this is a guy that, you know, especially Xavier McKinney, really explosive coming downhill, can play man coverage, kind of like Minky Fitzpatrick Light, if you will. Now, I think he has a chance to rise in the first round because if you know Bill Belichick, the only thing he loves more than draft defense tax of versatility is drafting Alabama back with defense back versatility. <laughs> so uh, so I, I think Xavier, Xavier McKinney has a legit shot to go in the first round. And don't forget about Cheyenne Carter, too. Cheyenne Carter had two pass breakups in this game with seven tackles. This is a guy who's also, I think, keeping his stock on the move. Um, I think he's a guy people have to watch for, you know, nickel safety kind of guy. So those are the two guys that really stood out for me in this game. But I'm interested to get your thoughts on one Jerry Judy in this game. And I know Jerry Judy, while I'm looking at these wide receivers, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, you know, what do you think of Judy in this game and, you know, and how this Alabama wide receiver core shakes up after this Texas A&M game? I mean, I thought Judy was Judy and he had his standout plays, but he's going to have some blunders here and there, even though I think he could have had some more opportunities, but him and Tua weren't on the same page on a couple of throws. There was a throw over the middle where they had a bit of a miscommunication, but He's just so explosive, man. And I love the Amari Cooper comp that you made to him on our last episode just because he has that short area quickness that you're looking for, but he can take the ball the distance after the catch point as well. And he is just so shifty with the ankle flexion that he does have. And he can he's a video game player. That's what I like to say. And he's like, when you're watching him, it's like somebody's controlling him with the joystick just because of the moves that he does have and what he exhibits when the ball is in his hand. And I think he does. He definitely has the potential to be a wide receiver one on the next level. And I think as long as he stays healthy and continues to produce the way that he's producing this year, I think he's going to be a top 10 pick without question, just because of what he brings to the table and just how many teams are looking for that top end number one wide receiver throughout the league. Yeah. And so when we say that, I think it's a good time to transition to the, I think the, the best game of Saturday, right? LSU in Florida. I mean, this, this, this <laughs> yeah. is, and this is the game. And you talk about Joe Burrow and your pride stickers earlier. And the reason I didn't want to mention in that segment is I knew I was going to mention him here. And this this guy, I don't, there's nothing really else to say. I mean, this guy has, I think, improved his draft stock more than any other senior quarterback I've seen since Baker Mayfield. You know, Baker Mayfield went from day three prospect to the first overall pick. We might see that meteoric rise again with Joe Burrow. I mean, this is a guy who is borderline undraftable based on 2018 tape. He comes in 2019, he looks like a legit top 10 pick. So, I mean, I know our colleague Joe Marino has him moved up to number two on his quarterback list by Tua. So this is a guy we talked about last week. We talked about, you know, Justin Herbert. Could he surpass Justin Herbert with more games like this? I think the answer is a clear yes. 
Joe Burrow looks like the real deal. And I think with more performances like this, he could make his way onto the, you know, the top quarterback on most teams draft on some teams draft boards. I mean, I know some teams will prefer Tua, but I think some teams will also think Joe Burrow is a real deal here. So it is going to be Christmas Day for me at the Senior Bowl. If we get Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert in the Senior Bowl in the event. So Jim Nagy, if you're listening to this and you get Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert to compete against one another at the Senior Bowl, that is going to be like Christmas Day for me just because I think this is the battle for the quarterback two spot. And we're starting to see some prospects differentiate differentiate each other from these certain tiers. And I think Tua is definitely the guy at the top right now just because of what he's done this year. But that quarterback two spot, I think it's up for grabs right now. Joe Burrow has just come from the back, and he's come screaming forward to the front of the group. And I'm right there with Joe, and I'm close to making that switch between him and Herbert. I'm not even going to lie about that just because – I don't think we're going to see the true potential of Justin Herbert until we see him outside of this Oregon offense, just because I think it's very pedestrian with what they're asking him to do, just because there's a lot of side-to-side perimeter throws. And there are some throws down the field, but they're mostly down the seams. And they're very periodic throughout the game, sporadic, I should say, throughout the game. So we really don't necessarily get to see him show off a lot of that arm strength that he does possess. And the only time we really do get to see it is when he's creating those off-schedule or off-script types of throws. And he had one last week on Friday where he just lobbed the ball over or down the sideline, I should say, for a touchdown that was just incredible. It actually was dropped, I should say. It should have been a touchdown. That was just incredible. So his ability to throw on the run and off-schedule plays are just is just ridiculous. So Jim Nagy, once again, if you're listening to the podcast, please get Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert to come to the Senior Bowl. That would really make my week, and my eyes would definitely be glued to both of those guys. But just my overall thoughts from this game, LSU looks really good, man. This is the best LSU team we've seen in a very long time. Shout out to Ed Orgeron, who has moved up, I should say, or moved on to 8-3 and three against top 10 teams during his coaching tenure at LSU. And I've never seen a coach be able to turn around their reputation more than he has since his days at Ole Miss. And that was a massive failure when he was there at Ole Miss. And then he got the LSU job and really turned things around there. So the kids are really listening to him. They're playing very hard for him. But Justin Jefferson is one guy that really stood out to me. He's starting to make a huge rise up this wide receiver board as well. And we've talked about how it's so hard to really order these top 10 receivers that we do have just because this is an absolutely loaded wide receiver class. And I've already came out and said that this could rival 2014 as one of the best that we have seen in a very long time with Odell Beckham Jr., Mike Evans, Devontae Adams, and all the guys that were in that draft class. So 2014 and 2020, I should say, it'll be very fun to compare both of those classes. I thought Grant Delpit had a really good game as well. But before I move on to that, did you have something about Justin Jefferson? Yeah, Justin Jefferson. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned him. I think you're reading my notes, too, on this guy. Because I, the first thing I wrote about him after watching this game against Florida, why aren't we talking about him as a top 10 receiver in this draft class. I mean, this is guy is this guy's the real deal. It's about 6'4, you know, 200 pounds. This guy has this physical skill set, and he's now proven that he has the tape to do so as well. I mean, 10 catches, 123 yards, and a touchdown. But if you take Jefferson's last two games against Florida and uh, Utah State, and you combine them with the Texas matchup earlier in the year, those three games, he has 28 catches for 441 yards and six touchdowns. This guy's big, he can separate, wow. and he's been productive. Yeah. This guy has been phenomenal this season, and I cannot wait to see his name rise into the likes of guys like Jalen Ragers, LaVisca Chenault, T. Higgins. Because his name 100% deserves to be in that list. 
I think so, too. I'm right there with you. And I wrote up his report a couple of weeks ago, and I really was surprised with just how well and how much I liked this film just because he wasn't a huge name on my board, but he definitely is going to be a riser on my next one. But that is episode two. It is officially in the books. We're going to be back in a couple of days uh, debating the next week's matchup. There is a lot of intriguing ones that we will get into on the next episode. So once again, for your host, Jordan Reed, also my co-host, Jonah Tolls, we are the Locked On College Football Podcast. Remember to leave a five-star review. Also, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at LockedOnCFB. Once again, that's LockedOnCFB on Twitter. We have not officially made an announcement about the podcast, so I just want to thank you guys for following along with us that are on Megaphone right now. Once we get the podcast officially approved on iTunes, we will be posting it on every single platform. So for Jordan and Jonah, we are signing off. And once again, thank you guys for listening to the Locked On College Football Podcast.